You're listening to Igniting Imagination, a podcast to spark the spirit within you from Wesleyan Investive and Texas Methodist Foundation. This season, we are igniting the imagination of leaders through conversations with the four recipients of the 2022 Tom Locke Innovative Leader Award. These spiritual entrepreneurs are pushing the margins of what it means to practice faith and build community in today's world with their bold vision for the world God imagines. For more information, visit wesleyaninvestive.org and click Locke Award. Hi, friends. I'm Lisa Greenwood here with my co-host for this season, Matt Russell. Hey, Matt. Hi, Lisa. I am so excited to share this conversation with another one of our 2022 Locke Innovative Leader Award recipients, Cote Sorens. For more information about the Locke Award, I hope you'll check out our show notes and visit our website. The award honors spiritual entrepreneurs who have envisioned a broader mission field and have seriously taken risks to make their God-sized dreams a reality. And what God-sized dreams Cote has. Matt, you want to share her bio with our listeners? Yeah, I'd love to. I just love this uh, this interview and getting to know Cote. Cote was born in Chile and came to the U.S. at the age of 25. And she served as a founding executive director of Puentes, an immigration-led organization mobilizing mental health resources to support families affected by immigration policies. Cote Sorensen is the owner uh, and midwife of Resistencia, a coffee shop in South Park neighborhood of Seattle, Washington. She's also the co-founder of Cultivate South Park, a nonprofit that lends infrastructure to neighborhood community development projects, such as the Urban Fresh Food Collective, Reconnect South Park, and the South Park Arts and Collective um, Culture Collective. Originally from Chile, Cote has made Seattle her home, where she lives with her husband, Tim, and their sons. She and Tim are planters of South Park Neighborhood Church, a new United Methodist Church project in Seattle. Um, there is just so much that I loved about this um, interview and uh, who she is as a person and the way that she moves in this world. One of the things that stood out to me, I think, early on, Lisa, is her her phrase about being a woman of Latin America, and she said, I, "I was a little bit of a problem," you know, and and I I realized that this has been a theme in her life, <laughs> in the best way possible, in in the John Lewis kind of way of being a little bit of a problem and getting into some good trouble, and yeah. uh, I just was so inspired by her. Yeah, t-shirts made for. <laughs> girls and young women everywhere that say, I'm a little bit of a problem. I'm a bit of a problem. You go. <laughs> you go, girl. I mean, there were so many little like moments all throughout the interview of kind of sound bites. Ooh, I want to capture that. Ooh, I want to capture yes. that. And one of them is her play on um, John Wesley, The World is My Parish. And she says, The parish is my world. It's Mm. that focus on your neighborhood and your neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Her her rootedness into really kind of this the scandal of neighborliness, which is like this this revolution that says actually the people I live around, the people that I um I'm going to the grocery store next to, this is these are the people that matter. This is the fabric of of my life. I love the fact that out of that, these liberative practices Mm-hmm. are emerging in her own life and whether that's the the establishment of a love letter you know in the form of a coffee shop yeah. you know or a love letter you know, to their neighbors i just yeah. oh, it's beautiful yeah 
Yeah, that's uh, great. Or tearing down a highway in order to <laughs> reconnect the neighborhood. I might, you know, this gives me hope for the church. Seriously, seriously. So let's listen to our interview with Cote. So welcome, Cote. It's great to see you. Great to see you too. <laughs> Hi. Great to be with you. So as we jump into this conversation, we want to hear your story, um, particularly what significant events or encounters um, have shaped you and brought you to this place in your life. Oof. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> That's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might just pick the highlights, you know. <laughs> highlights. Really, yeah, it's it's just really weird because um, you know I'm I've come from such a different place, and, uh, and and I lived a lot of my life in that different place. Like I came I came to the states when I was 25, and I do feel that I do feel that God did bring me here, mm-hmm. and yeah. to a very to a very rainy place. <laughs> <laughs> Seattle, a very rainy place. A very rainy place like Seattle when I'm a lizard. You know, I just love it. That's, that's very different. But uh, I'm a cold-blooded animal now, anyway. So, yeah, so basically I, 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 was, I was a woman in Chile with a call to, to ministry. Mm-hmm. And that is not a thing that I feel Chileans understand. <laughs> so I, I felt a little bit at odds. With, 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 with things. So anyway, so the, the opportunity presented itself for me to, to come to Seattle. And, and one of the, 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 the great gifts of the city is that uh, it's, it, a lot of people come to Seattle without really knowing what they want, but they are very, very sure about what they do not want. And um, mm-hmm. I definitely resonated with that. And so there was this opening of like, hey, which is such, a, such, an, such an American dream immigrant story I recognize, like, I get to reinvent myself. I get to be whoever I want to be. You know? yeah. <laughs> but but um, looking back, there's I've really uh, seen a, a thread of um, the things that God put in my heart as a as a young woman, as a young girl, about um, cu- curiosity around why does it matter that Jesus died on a cross and resurrected mm. beyond the you know I, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s and you know inner healing was a big deal and like personal piety was a really big deal in the evangelical circles back then. So I'm like, okay, sure. I will not drink. I will not smoke, but what, what impact does it have in our cities uh, that Jesus died in a cross and resurrected? Mm-hmm. Um, that was always a question. And I, and I didn't see the church churches that I was part of exploring that much. And I did see that God was moving outside and that people outside of the church was also very lovely and <laughs> they had a lot to give. So, and myself also as an odd fit within, you know, I, you know, I used to, I used to lead worship, but only, only and only when the male leader and the second male leader were out of town, you know? <laughs> so, um, and so I was a little bit of a problem that um, they didn't know what to do with, like a, a little bit of the witch, you know, the witch and, and old Disney, the witch were like that problematic woman that no one knew what to do with. Um, <laughs> so I feel that yeah. a bunch of us um, in Latin America, maybe or in more conservative um, spaces, 
can be the witch, but a problematic woman. So <laughs> instead of like, oh, she's got leadership potential, let's mentor her. My <laughs> journey. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up studying psychology. You know, it's like okay, whatever. I'll just <laughs> I will not be a pastor, I guess. So so I ended up studying psychology, and that's how I ended up in Seattle. It was a master's in clinical psychology at this very conservative evangelical school. Uh, it, was a, it was a culture shock. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I ended up here. And quickly, quickly, as soon as I finished my degree, five minutes after I'm saying, I'm open for business, um, I received a call from a, from a man from Mexico who was working on his immigration proceedings and uh, they needed psych assessments for immigration proceedings. So I'm like, okay, this is a ministry opportunity, right? I doubt there are many licensed mental health professionals who speak Spanish who would do this. So, mm-hmm. And that led me into a journey of, it was like a 10-year journey of working with um, undocumented migrants and their families who were, you know, part of our communities, but they were incredibly undervalued by our systems and our country really exploited. And, um, like, <laughs> clearly, American society was making a lot of money off them, <laughs> and they didn't have the chance to be considered fully human in our communities, even though they were our neighbors. But one thing that I did find in the community was... Uh, something that brought me back to my Latin American roots, uh, which is um, because because this community is so oppressed, because this community is so vulnerable, I found that a big number of people in this situation were really having to rely on the truths of the gospel that they have received. They really didn't have a choice as to whether to put their faith in Jesus or not. They had to. It was their only way of reasserting both their hope and their humanity. Mm. And that was incredibly transformative to me. I was like, whoa, there is something really incredible and really important here. Which in a way, as somebody who was in community working with working with people, I was like, okay, I guess I can just train a bunch of other people on how to make these psych- psychological evaluations and be a clinician. But it really brought me back into my calling of pastoring and being in the community as a pastor, because there are things that you really cannot do in the clinical in the clinical setting that you actually can do as a pastor, mm. which is to encourage more of the fabric of care around people. So after, what's the point of this? Is that um, I've had the opportunity to be in the public square. I have the opportunity to be a professional, you know, like in the social sciences or like a professional in the health sciences. I have the opportunity to work in activism and to work in secular activism and social justice. And still found that there was a very particular role that the people of God plays in society that I started becoming a little worried we were not fostering correctly. Because mm. a lot of people are living in the church in droves, right? And many of us, people like me who have a fire for ministry, have a fire for Jesus, have a we are not finding ourselves in these institutions and we're having to improvise. And it's a very lonely road. And it becomes even more uh, upsetting when you see people who are very ill-prepared for this. They're right off seminary. They're receiving hundreds of thousands of dollars just to question what the church is about. And, you know, whatever. <laughs> otherwise known as church planting. And, and at the same time, you have incredible people who are doing really important work in the trenches by themselves because they are they are, they don't 
we don't either match the stereotype of a church planter or a ministry person, or, or we don't find that we can bring all of ourselves into those institutions, you know? So we are left in the street improvising. So I started getting a little worried about what's the future of the church? What's, what, are, what are we doing really? Which is part of the question on my early 20s or, or like I, as an 18 year old, like, okay, I see you all the youth group singing Jesus and crying <laughs> inside <laughs> the temple on a Friday night. But what difference is this making, right? So, so my journey, I think, has been one of trying to weave together uh, what does the gospel look like in the public sphere. And also, very importantly, too, from the perspective of the most vulnerable in our society. So I have a great privilege of being very close to the stories of undocumented migrants and their families. I had another opportunity to work at another nonprofit where the, the stories I was exposed to were the rural poor in Central American Mexico during the years of, of dictatorships and oppression. And the common thread that I saw was an incredible reliance on the gospel. Yeah. So that faced me with my own privilege as far as like, okay, I'm so privileged. I get to choose whether I want to pray today or not. So, so you know, there is the Latin American tradition of, of, of liberation theology and, you know, how God is moving with the poor. And my observation has been, yeah, God's moving with the poor. So, okay, so within all that, <laughs> it's a long question. <laughs> it's a long answer. Um, <laughs> At some point, when uh, I kind of said, yes, okay, I will delve into this question. Am I a pastor? Am I going to delve into ministry? And there was an invitation from God, which demanded that we would situate ourselves in the right place. So I'm part of this, uh, this movement called the Parish Collective, which is basically people of faith who are asking a very basic question. It's like, what happens if we take loving your neighbor very literally? So my husband and I, my family and I, we, we, we were living in South Park, which is an immigrant neighborhood in Seattle. It's in the south of Seattle. It's the lowest earning, income earning. How, how do you say that? It's the lowest income earning neighborhood in the city. Yeah. Um, it's the youngest neighborhood in the city. It's a, it's a, it's a neighborhood of, uh, it, it has historically been a neighborhood of immigrants. It's been a neighborhood that has been redlined. It's a neighborhood that has a lot of challenges, environmental challenges. Uh, we have a highway cut in the neighborhood too. We have industry around us and we're a very small neighborhood. It's a square mile, 6,000 people, and but a lot of civic energy and a lot of neighborliness. And so it's, it's very unusual as a neighborhood in Seattle. Hmm. So we were living here and we just dared to ask the question, what is God already doing in this neighborhood that we can join? And when you position yourself in that, and you commit to an actual place, a physical space, and ask the question, what is God already doing here? And furthermore, if you recognize that God is already moving and that God loves people, asking, what are God's dreams for this neighborhood? Those were the questions we asked. And in that praxis, we were like, we started, okay, we love our neighbors. But let's take it very literally. So we're going to pour ourselves into our neighbor, neighbors. So we started soup night. Uh, in our house, we invited neighbors. If you live in South Park, you're welcome. No questions asked. I don't need you to be anything else. Just, you live in South Park. You're my neighbor. I love you. Creepy. <laughs> <laughs> but that gave us a rhythm with our neighbors. And out of those conversations, uh, some visions started to shape. 
one of them was um, a place where we could hang out and bring our kids to. And because we didn't have a place like that. So yeah, in the middle of running this nonprofit, this this immigrant rights nonprofit, we're doing really important work. Uh, I did receive what I recognize as a call from the spirit going like, Cote, I want you to open a space from where you can mother the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And don't worry about that. <laughs> and that was Resistencia Coffee. That's how I started. So, and that's a good pause right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that you, in the midst of, of responding to God's call, you were still open and listening to the way that God was calling you. And as I understand it, you are now planting a church in South Park mm-hmm. neighborhood, right? So I'm tell trying. us about that. I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah. I hear you. It's um it's a challenge. This is a very secular city. And uh when you open with I'm a pastor, um <laughs> it's not something that people are <laughs> here. You know, people get really, really, really um suspicious of you. We have an ongoing joke that Tim and I have been closeted Christians for a while. Mm-hmm. And um, that is not how we open the, the conversation. Um, and, you know, our neighborhood is a neighborhood of immigrants. It's also a very gay neighborhood. There are many gay families here. So all they hear about Christianity is attacks to their personhood. So it's taken a while for us after we know people. And we some were laughing because it was kind of the reverse. <laughs> we were these friends like, hey, guys, I need to tell you something about me that may cause you to make a lot of assumptions about me. But, but I just need to tell you that I'm a Christian. <laughs> you know? yeah. And one of them, I did tell them I was a pastor and never, never heard from them again. Yeah. You know, I'm like, <laughs> bye. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so yeah. it's complicated. But I think that actually, so, you know, there is this, there is this myth or the story told about how Christianity was supposed to be underground and it flourishes when it's not um, institutionally blessed, right? So I think that, being in a, in a in such a secular city as Seattle, uh, wanting to follow Jesus without having the pulpit, right? I was like, "Hey," <laughs> uh, has really forced us to to think very carefully around what is the role of the church in this neighborhood. How are we supposed to bless people of this neighborhood? What again? What is the relevance of the fact that Jesus died on a cross and resurrected? for the people in this neighborhood. So that has led us, whereas many church planters go into like, we're going to bring Jesus to this place, you know, and, and, and have a plan. I'm like, hey, we're going to start an event and everybody will come, we're going to serve families. It's really shifted our praxis into, again, recognizing that God brought us to this place to follow what God's doing. And our role, more than planning, is to pray, is to discern, is to keep ourselves accountable too. So basically we call it like a crackpot approach to church, church planting. So we've been really like enmeshed in the life of the neighborhood. And so just now we have started a prayer group, a bilingual prayer group every Tuesday morning, you know, and, but that doesn't mean that we haven't been in common mission with our neighbors for a long time. So basically my husband Tim once said, like what you've been building are spaces of common mission with neighbors who care about the neighborhood, but are not necessarily Christians. So we have the space of common mission. And then out of that, we've been like, okay, we're going to pray, you know? So, um, and now we are preparing like, okay, when is the right time to have a convening around? Let's 
have these faith conversations? What does it mean? Like, it's a little awkward that we believe in Jesus. What does that mean? You know? So we're very slowly now having more freedom to be more open about who we are because people by now know us. And, and, and it's and it's trust building. I think it speaks of the importance of, yeah. of the very slow work of trust building in a neighborhood. Because we had similar tensions when we opened the coffee shop. When we opened mm-hmm. the coffee shop, a lot of people were really happy about it. They were grateful, but others were like, here goes the neighborhood. This is a means to gentrification. This is the nail in the coffin, basically. Hit coffee shop, you know? And and that that's what happens usually, unless you're very intentional intentional about what you do. But so we, for example, whereas other businesses would begin and say, like, we want the most wonderful, sleek looking decor. We needed to make sure that people knew that this was still South Park. <laughs> so, um, so we needed to, so we basically made a case to make this coffee shop a love letter to South Park and make sure that the coffee shop represented the people of South Park and that the people of South Park would not self, self-select out of the coffee shop but be part of it. So there was a lot of work. Uh, there was a lot of talk in social media around this gentrifying coffee shop hmm. that has now people three, four years into it, not like, oh, no, 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 they're actually okay. <laughs> it's our coffee. You had to literally prove yourselves as trustworthy yeah. as neighbors. Right. You had to right. be a neighbor so that... Yeah. Wow. It's a different approach than an economic approach that, that says, how do we come in and make money? Your approach saying that, how do we, how do we fall in love with this community? And so that when they walk into this place, this is a love letter to our neighbors. That's a, that's a different system altogether. But so cool. also, yes, we have to say that South Park is not a great place to open a business. Our food traffic is sad. So it was going to take, people who cared about the neighborhood to put resources on the line on behalf of the neighbors. And that is the part, that is the, the little added value that I see church people doing. Mm-hmm. Whereas like some, some of us, like without that belief system will go like, I just got to worry about me and my family. So I'm just going to go open this business where it makes the most money. Yes. Right. I feel that it's people of, God, who will say, like, we're going to put our resources on the line on behalf of this community. Let's, let's, let's give it a go. Let, let's try to follow God. Let's, 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 let's let God drive the vision. We're just going to put our, our fish and our loaves of bread, you know, and then let Jesus feed the 5,000, right? So that mystical interaction, I think it's very unique to Christianity and I think it's valuable to cities and neighborhoods. And I think we shouldn't give up on it for the sake of the neighborhood. Absolutely. My mind is just kind of exploding here. Some of the things that excites me is the the fact of the way that you're, the way that you think and the way that you're moving in these communities seems to be even just like you're not bringing Jesus to people, (laughs) that you're Mm -hmm. in a discovery mode of relationship. And that your posture is one of connection rather than bringing something that people don't have, but it's recognizing where people live and move and participating in that place, which is, as you said, it's the scandal of neighborliness in, in some ways. <laughs> nice. I like it. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I'm wondering, um, 
when I think, uh, when I just look at your history and all the things that you've been involved in, the ideas that, that emerge out of you, often in my work with poets or songwriters or knowing folks that these ideas start in certain places in their body or it start, starts in certain places within their, their life. I'm wondering where these ideas, how you, how you, where these ideas emerge from and how do you pursue them? Uh, in terms of entrepreneurship or spiritual entrepreneurship, you mean like the idea of like the concepts or or, or the actual projects? Both. I owe a huge deal of gratitude to my husband Tim, actually, because uh, mm. the way he I call him Noah, he's able to see thing to see the rain before it starts in the desert, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he's the one who actually invited the first person who invited me. Like I'm not giving up on the church because I was mm. I was ready, right? I was like no. And he was the first person to invite me to not give up on the church. And and the way he was able to like put all of these very complex ideas together around place and citizenship and neighborliness and asset-based community development and ecclesiology. I know many people are assuming like it's his wife, of course, but we're not that kind of couple. <laughs> like I, I thought it was nothing short of brilliant. I thought it was incredibly relevant. And so basically to me, it was an invitation to, hey, I find a lot of resonance. In mm. with this model and the things that have been coming up for me throughout my life. So I had an opportunity to try it out, you know, like, let's try mm. this. Let's try this theory out in the neighborhood. And it's been beautiful to watch. So mm. I, I have to give credit where credit is due as one of the main influences uh, that I'm very grateful for. As far as the ideas themselves, uh, I honestly like all of them, like, Opening the private practice when I graduated and started this journey with immigrants, it was very similar to the one from the coffee shop. Hey, I want you to open a private practice in downtown Seattle. Say, what now? That's the bougiest thing I've ever heard. But okay. <laughs> and it was also, the, it was, this was in 2008. Wow. Like the market crashed. So to me, as a young woman, it was like, oh, it's the time to look for a job. Uh-huh. No, it's the time to start a private practice. No, <laughs> you know, uh, and also it's very bougie. Like I, I, I thought my life was about serving the poor, you know, but look at what it led me. It led me to, to an incredible level of access into a community that hides by definition, right? Um, so, and, and it's one of the biggest gifts I've ever received as far as like seeing how God moves amongst the vulnerable and the poor and the oppressed, right? So that was a, a journey. So, to me, I think my, my process is one of, of making sure I'm positioned. Okay. We talked about this, I think, in another podcast, <laughs> but it's, it's a process of seeing the movement of God almost as a wave. And my role is that of a surfer. Yeah. Get ready with the board, paddle, situate yourself well, and do your best to catch the right wave. So that's kind of that's kind of like my process has been basically like okay let's let's live a life that is conducive to catching the right wave. Mm-hmm. So that's would, beautiful right there. So mm-hmm. a wave that I actually surfed pretty well. <laughs> like, um, the nonprofit like a wave that was really hard to surf, but it did surf it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's not. I'm really curious, Cote, 
You speak beautifully about your reliance on the Holy Spirit and your, um, mm. you know, your deep commitment to the gospel and saying, really, there's no other way to, to access hope in our humanity. I mean, that's, that's the way. And, and you, you speak plainly about the distrust, the, the rub in your own community when it comes to the church. Or, or, or even Jesus, right? But you unapologetically live out of that faith. And so I'm curious about why stay connected to the church. Like not why stay connected to Jesus. Like that's so clear in who you are and, yeah. and what you're about and, and your why in that. But, I'm, but you also wrestle with the church and its witness. Mm-hmm. And, and I hear that. So... I'm curious why. Why stay connected to the church? Because Jesus told us that we're body. I got super emotional. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's okay. Mm. I what I have for, for the church is more tears of compassion. And we we've been um, discussing some in some places how to me the church um, feels like a beautiful, beautiful young woman with terrible self-esteem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like Forget who you are, you know. Do you know how beautiful you can be? Like, like you know, many girls act out. You know? <laughs> like you're acting out now. <laughs> so there is this, there is this notion of we are the body of Christ and we're connected to one another. So I was reading who was it? Oh my gosh, it was one of these wonderful authors that I should totally know the name, but um, <laughs> who was it? Eugene Peterson or something like that. They were um, they were kind of like making a little fun of people who are like so they want to they want to find their spirituality in nature, which is totally valid, of course, and there are times for that. But because they were, he was kind of making fun of this, like so far from and from that inconvenience of people. <laughs> like, and I do think that we. I'm just looking at the Trinity, how they're like all connected to one another. And so I, mm-hmm. I found that ontologically, it says something about how we are wired. Like it seems that our our, our being is relational by, by design, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. We were, we're in pain when we're isolated, you know? That's, that's, loneliness is very, 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 very dangerous for people. So I'm looking at that and I'm looking at how we are all connected and how we are the body of Christ. So I can, in, in, in an expedient way, or maybe like, you know, the, I mean, I'm a therapist, boundaries, healthy boundaries are really great things. So sometimes you need to put healthy boundaries and like, okay, these guys don't just like, you know, there is a um, shake of the dust of your, of your, or you think just, just, just go do your thing. But so I'm not talking about like sticking into unhealthy relationships, but I am talking about like having a little bit of compassion for your own family, right? It's like, Hey, we are a dysfunctional family, but we're family nonetheless. Right. And I think there is a lot of value in putting yourself in situations where you may be surprised by people or that, Hey, if we're like curious and generous with each other, we may find that we have a lot more in common than we thought. And just that exercise alone is incredibly healthy. It's one of the reasons, again, we like to talk about neighbor rather than community because you get to choose your community, but you don't get to choose your neighbor. And and that is very good for you because, you know, there are people who are annoying, but, but when you're committed to each other, there is growth, right? So when belonging is part of the equation, there is growth. So 
that's one of the ways I'm seeing it. Another way I'm seeing it is really looking at the opportunity cost for cities and neighborhoods when churches are either disappearing or not engaging with the neighborhood. There was a study, uh, you know, the, the, the Alliance for Sec- Partnership for Sacred Spaces, they have been tracking the economic, the financial cost of um, denominations selling off buildings. Like, okay, now the community doesn't have a, a place that is under market rate to do programming, right? Or in Toronto, they were calculating at like 22 million a year in loss in, you know, like uh, health, like access to Alcoholic Anonymous, um, access to job training, all of the programs that church communities will do for communities. If, if those are lost, you know, like the, the neighborhoods lose. Right. Yeah. Anyway, there is, so there is a very practical loss that happens for our civic life. So it's, it's, a, it's pragmatic and it's also like by principle, like guys. <laughs> yeah well i love that because well you started really in a way and ended with this notion of we we are the body of christ right and so what does that look like when we are when mm. we embody that love and grace and mercy and justice in the neighborhood we become crucial and integral in ways that you can actually quantify as well as feel and experience. And um, I'd like to ask this uh, two, two questions that are coming up for me is one is um, what breaks your heart in this work and uh, what's giving you life in this work? What breaks my heart is people throwing baby Jesus out with the bathwater. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, people are, there are all things that break my heart, Matt. Um, but yeah, like when 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 people are just giving up on it, or 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 when people who have a big voice, a big pulpit, they use it in abusive ways, and yeah. so um, you know, it's, the, the spiritual life of people is something very precious. Like it needs to be respected and protected. And a lot of people in my generation have been hurt in their spiritual life as children, you know, betrayed, yeah. or you know. So that that breaks my heart. Like I'm like. You know that that's that's not whoever whoever told you that was Jesus or God. Like it's, that's that's not it. There, there is something else. You know, like it, that's not a complete story. What gives me hope is to see what happens when we pray. Because we did have here um, an opportunity in the neighborhood to to do a very simple but powerful prayer, which we have been praying for God to free the land for the people. And we have been, because that's a problem in, in our neighborhood, as a gentrifying neighborhood, I, I, I bet many people resonate with this, that, you know, we're, we're asking God to free the land for the people, uh, for people's use. And we have invited people who are not Christians into this prayer. And we, we aren't having miracles happen. We're having jubilee moments in which right now the neighborhood gets to own real estate. We are seeing freedom around places. We just, we, we started with this crazy idea about decommissioning a highway that cuts our neighborhood in two. The people were laughing at me <laughs> when I was talking about this. And it, it was like, this, this this girl, just somebody please judge her because it was annoying, basically, not because it was problematic. It was just, it's just annoying. It is too crazy. <laughs> but you know what happened? Like just recently, like 
Two weeks ago, the state legislature approved funding for a feasibility study. And the feasibility study is very specific. The feasibility study is let's decommission this portion of the highway and pass the land into a neighborhood controlled community land trust for equitable development. That's what it was. Cote, that's amazing. Come on. You've been tracking this story, right? You guys have been tracking this story. When Blair and I talked, this was a crazy idea. Now it's we're still a crazy in- idea. Blair <laughs> <laughs> and I talked about this, and it was like a crazy idea. Now we're in March of 2022, and this, the state legislature just approved funding for the feasibility study. Not for it, but for the feasibility study. But they were, they were representatives that were not connected to our district who were saying like, hey, hey, make sure that the South Park um, proviso gets in there in the budget. And that comes also with, with funding for really legitimate community organizing. So yeah, so I'm, you know, I get super overwhelmed a lot. So, so the scale of the things that are happening are being incredibly large. And I got to tell you, Lisa and Matt, I am very overwhelmed right now. You know, I'm like, I am not, I am not prepared personally to steward this. Like I don't have the skill or the experience, right? But I do trust, however, because we read this in the Bible all the time, (laughs) you know, it's like, God did pick the most broken of, of people to to do things. So I'm like, okay, that checks out. I am very, very inadequate. And that is why my role is like, I will keep praying. Because what we're praying for is for, pe- for God to bring the help we need, right? So, you know, I was just talking to a friend who has been, she doesn't live in Seattle, but we've been talking about the Reconnect South Park project, the, the highway project for a while. Oh my gosh, she's so skilled in community organizing and, and she has a national platform. And she's been like called and thinking about moving to South Park to help us with this, for example. I'm like That to me is an answer to prayer, right? So another thing that needs to happen the, in the same way with church planting, we're not like, we're going to bring Jesus to it. Also like, um, and, and make sure, sorry, it's just, that's how they sound. That's what they sound like. <laughs> Bros and duck hats and... We're gonna bring Jesus. Um, <laughs> the same way that you need to move from that into like, hey, what is Jesus already doing here? Yes. You also gotta move from like, I am the hero and the change maker <laughs> that God has called to like, hey, it's taking a lot of courage. And a lot of vulnerability to this work. And I'm getting a, what do you call it? Like a, when you're like really dizzy, like vertigo. Yeah. <laughs> this is very scary. <laughs> Jesus, right. please keep helping. And and turns out that Jesus, that that, that, that that miracles keep happening as far as like, like do your best, do your best to move faithfully, do your best to, you know, be good in communicating with people, running things well, the best that you can, but keep praying for help. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, 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 and God does provide the help. So, so yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Also, last, because this, this all needs to be explained a little bit, because it's like, what is this girl doing, right? But to me, it also, the, the notion of midwifing and burning is pretty important. Yeah. Yes. Every project to me has felt a little bit like giving birth. I like gave birth to three boys, <laughs> and, and I'm familiar with it. <laughs> Some people in this book right now are familiar with this. You have early labor when things are starting moving. And then, of course, you have the, the, the active labor when the baby's coming out. But in the middle of it is the transition phase. Yeah. Transition phase is when, sorry for the graphics, 
when the baby's head is getting ready to get in the birth canal. It's incredibly painful, stressful, hard. It's a very hard. It's also the shortest stage of labor. But I can I can recognize those in the same way, like as we're talking about midwife in new creation. There are these times in the journey that are incredibly painful, but but that's where like that's where like the, the idea of God's new creation comes up. Like it's birthing new creation. Like okay, this stage is really hard, but we have to hope that it's gonna get a little easier as things worked out. Oh, Cote, it's beautiful. Beautiful. Oh, yeah, I'm just thinking about people who might be listening to this for planners. They might be like, I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just think part of that is so beautiful for me because, I mean, there's a sense in which um, I was thinking about in Jeremiah where Jeremiah says, you seduced me to God, right? You say, you seduced me. I thought this was going to be a lot easier and I get into it and I fall in love with the work and with the people that you've called me to, but you seduced me. This isn't easy at all. And so when grant organizers ask, is this a sustainable work? I think, no, none of this is sustainable, right? right? None of it's, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Who knows if it's sustainable? No. That's what I think is because no, nobody promised the success right. in the yeah. Christian journey. And there are a lot of times that God did ask people to do things that appeared pointless, right? But they went and did it anyway. They might have had a point. So there is, there is, also, there is always the possibility of failure. There is always the possibility of public failure. It's a risk. That's the thing. Like, that's the thing that we really can't sugarcoat it. So especially when we give these awards right, and recognize people, like, look at these leaders who are doing so much. Like, guys, risk, oh, so, sorry, failure is always a possibility and you gotta live with that yes yeah I, th- I wonder if that's what paul means about like always kind of carrying around like this the crucified body of christ but that that crucified body that we're carrying around is always regenerating in ways that we can't control or we can't like queue up but we have to stay faithful to this this death dealing world in a way that god continues to bring life to it's like i don't get it yeah, so. there is a yeah. There there are things that you need to give up sometimes. Mm. Nothing. Sometimes you have worked really hard on something, and then it's time for the community to take it on. Yes, that's yeah. happening with one of our projects right now. Like like I feel that like Tim and I have worked really hard to build these spaces. Have put a lot of emotional investment, but now that you know the community is having the building, for example, there are a few things that are really are, are emotionally hard for me. Like, hey, we worked so hard on it, and you're asking me just to just to give it to you, like. Right? That is that is hard. But if that is what God intended, I gotta submit to that. Amen. So that's what I'm saying. I, I guess I'm just like trying not to play into the, the, the American narrative of successful people, right? And because right now I'm being recognized very generously by the Wesleyan Investment, right? And 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 and, and the Wesleyan, sorry, I'm being recognized by the Wesleyan, the, the Methodist Foundation, okay, as, as an innovator. And, and I'm very grateful for it, right? So it's like, oh my gosh, this person is successful, right? I'm like, I, I, I wouldn't call it that. I, I, I hope, I hope that what people say about me is that she was very obedient. Yeah. I, I, my spiritual, my Catholic spiritual director says that another word for faith is just risk. 
And I, so I think that what um, the Wesley Investive sees in you is not success, but a, a person that has been deeply risk-taking in a faithful way. And I think that's what the church is attempting and what this award is attempting to bear witness to, not successful people, but people that are deeply faithful in their own context in ways that aren't a paint by number, so that we can then kind of market it and then have a church growth movement out of it and then make sure everybody's doing it the same way. No, like those days are dead. The church ran aground on that. And, and you will, you, I mean, there was a lot of transformation that came, that came out of that, but also like, it's like, what was that, was that okay in the first place? You know, like maybe it was okay for that, for that season. And so I'll just ask you these rapid questions and as, you can feel free to just go short or, or, or long, but yeah, here they are. The first one is, what do you wish you knew when you were starting out? The importance of setting up infrastructures for people to participate. That I was so worried about, like, because we're in a poor neighborhood, right? So if you're going to ask people to get in, in, involved, you know, people people need to pay their bills. They don't necessarily have access to a lot of time. So I get into like, oh my gosh, right? Let's write grants, let's write grants, let's write grants. <laughs> and um, so, but um, but then you're catching up. <laughs> yeah, the importance of building participatory infrastructure from the beginning. And mm-hmm. this is going to be something that many listening will be like, duh, girl, come on. But <laughs> 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 well, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. I should have got the person's name. What's the thing you wish leaders in the church knew? I don't feel comfortable answering that because I feel that there is a lot of wisdom. Everybody has a lot of wisdom. And I feel that I feel that we've been bashing people for so long that we forgot to ask them anymore. Like I've, I've seen in the denominational executives who are really worried about the, the future of the church. There is a lot of like bashing of old pastors. And yes, there are things about the church right now that are toxic, are annoying. But again, everybody has some wisdom, you know? So I feel that maybe, maybe... Maybe respect your people. (laughs) I think maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe let's respect the knowledge of the people around us, right? Mm -hmm. Like either, either for the nominational executives, like your, your pastors and for pastors and leaders in the church, um, not only your people in the congregation, but also the people in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of wisdom to go around, like, um, and like, People have a lot, a lot of different perspectives. I think, yeah, okay. Let me refrain. There is a, um, yeah. My, my friend Leroy says, like, you know, like innovation happens, like uh, diversity. Like diversity is the key to innovation, and 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 I think that can be also translated into into ask people, be open about asking people. There is a lot of knowledge in the neighborhood. There is a lot of knowledge outside of your own circle, and yeah, it's risk. It's risky to go ask questions, you know. Because then you had to follow up, <laughs> but um, but and be curious. It's <laughs> good. That's you good. Be <laughs> then this last question: What is the essence of Wesleyanism for you? It um, seems to be at the heart of it. So the, the world is my parish, as, as and right. we like to say the parish is my world, mm-hmm. as in the focus of uh, as your focus, adopting your focus. My parish is my world. And my parish, I mean the neighborhood. I don't mean uh, the congregation or the, or the no. Mm-hmm. We understand parish as the neighborhood. Yes. So I kind of feel that that was the the, the spirit of that sentence. Uh, was as far as like mm-hmm. we're going to engage in the world, be part of it, be really engaged in the throes of it, of public life. I really resonate with that. 
And but yes. our adjustment would be let's make the parish, and by that we mean the neighborhood, our world, and be committed to it. Yeah, you're living it, right? You're embodying it. We're hoping, guys. It's one moment at a time, one day, one moment at a time. And so it has been such a blessing to be with you and to spend this time. And so we have a blessing for you. Um, before we end, listeners, I just want you to know that we're uh, reaching our hands out across Zoom to um, to bless Cote and um, join us in this blessing. Gracias a Dios por ti. Thanks be to God for you, Cote, for the powerful ways that you embody the self-emptying love of Jesus. You consistently put people and relationships first in a way that actually disrupts the very systems that divide us. You live out the call to love your neighbor, and you do it with vulnerability and courage and genuine curiosity and friendship. And so we give thanks to God for you. And we pray God's blessings on you and Tim and the boys <laughs> that you all might experience deep joy and tender grace, especially through those ragged valley moments of uncertainty that life and family and ministry inevitably offer us. May you be emboldened and upheld with Holy Spirit presence every single day. By the grace of God, may it be so. Dios le bendiga. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. I needed that too. <laughs> Igniting Imagination is a production of the Leadership Ministry Team at Wesleyan Investive and Texas Methodist Foundation with excellent editing support from TruthWork Media. Check out our show notes and website for more information about all our guests and how you can follow them. I'm Blair Thompson-White. And from all of us at Leadership Ministry, thanks for listening. <laughs>